This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're listening to Where We Are, a weekend conversation on faith, politics, family, and culture, hosted by me, Michael Ware. And my wife, Melissa, we bring our wide-ranging experiences in politics, ministry, and nonprofit life to bear as we discuss the issues of the day. On this week's episode, we're celebrating our 100th episode, taking questions from you, dear listeners. This is Where We Are. This is where we are. We are the Wares. I'm Michael. I'm Melissa. Happy 100. Happy 100. 100 episodes of the weekend episode of where we are. Yes. Uh, we have many episodes of the morning five. Yeah, many episodes of the morning five. Four over, well over now, 400,000 downloads. Yes. And it is all thanks to you, our listeners. We're so grateful. Uh, it has been a joy, and we're we're glad that we made it to this point. And Melissa, that means hundred conversations, uh, one hundred dates that we've had, a hundred dates. Yeah, that would be a hundred moments of marital chatter. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's like a whole separate podcast idea. That uh, is. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it we are excited to do. Uh, I mean, I think. We talked about this uh, before. My favorite episodes are the uh, audience Q&A. We love hearing from you. You always ask the most interesting questions, and so I'm glad for episode uh, 100. We thought that episode 100 is only existing because of you all, so we thought we'd bring it back to you. Bring it back to you. Um, That's an S Club 7 song. (laughs) For all my millennials out there. Yeah. Which is our biggest audience. For all my millennials out there, S Club 7. Uh, Bring it all back to you. Very good, very good. Uh, <laughs> Let's move into the first question. Wait. What? Okay. Simmer down. Simmer down. Uh, just a few... Uh, f- I was at Principles First uh, today. And what uh, is Principles First? Principles First, uh, a sold-out conference run by Heath Mayo. It's of uh, basically never Trump conservatives. Okay. And it was great to be on a panel on moral formation and our politics. And so that was fun. Uh, the girls, after I spoke, uh, yeah. the, uh, the girls had to use the bathroom, so I uh-huh. brought them back into the hotel and... Of course, in the literal 45 seconds I had them in the hallway, Sirsha and Alaria are saying hi to everyone in the hallway. Former Lieutenant Governor Michael Steele comes down. Sirsha basically flags him down and uh, gets the Lieutenant Governor embroiled in a conversation. Uh, so they were, they, 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 I mean, they are conference girls. They, they well, really. Well, Sirsha, especially, Sirsha, <laughs> she, 
vibrates with excitement when she knows that she's going to be in a huge group of adults. She she's the world's largest busybody, and I say that with with great affection, with great affection and she, admiration. Really, yes, she is very excited to be around people. Loves an audience. Loves an audience. Well, she she had one. Uh, I think she's going to be. Uh, a pundit on MSNBC uh, for Michael Steele's show any day now. She's waiting for the call. They've changed <laughs> business cards. Um, but yeah, so that was fun. This Thursday night in D.C., uh, I am kind of flabbergasted uh, that I somehow roped in my friend David Brooks to do a book event in D.C. at East City uh, Bookstore. And so... It's open to the public. You could register. We'd love to see you there. Um, all right, let's 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 get to let's do it. Let's okay. Get to list. Oh, I'm what? sorry. Oh, Shout no. out to Wheaton. We we, oh, ha- yes. we have several folks who attended my event at Wheaton uh, this past week who said they listened to the pod. So uh, hi. Yeah. Thanks for attending the event. Thanks for being a listener for us. Uh, This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Okay, now we could go. What's okay. the first question? What are our thoughts on the connections between outcomes in local school board elections and national elections? That is such an interesting question. I love it. Uh, here's what I'd say. I've never thought about this before, really. So this is just like first, get, you know... Um, I'd be interested in like academic research that tried to, but here's the main thing I've seen, which is um, when parties are locked out of or feel like the national environment is not favorable. Yes. Yep. uh, They focus on local school board elections and local elections more broadly. Yes. And so. It's it's uh, it's actually like a pretty interesting interesting thing. I think we've seen this a couple times over the last 30, 40 years where like uh, uh, there's a nationally dominant party uh, and then these local school board um, races, you see the party that's out of power nationally focus build up infrastructure and then of course like there's there's uh you know tension tension gets built because you have this local governance uh structure that's dominated by the the party that's out of harder uh out of power nationally and so i think that's an interesting dynamic i think it's interesting to think about the idea that um being out of power leads people being out of power we have such a national politics that being out of power nationally almost is like a expression of like despair or like, you know, a sense of like, well, we, 
nothing else we could do. You know, we might as well turn locally. But of course, most governance happens at the local level. So it's actually, it's treated like the second prize or like runner up. Mm-hmm. But, but, but then I think people, people rediscover like, oh, we, what, were, what were we thinking? We could get a lot done at the local level. Uh, so yeah, but it's a, it's a fascinating question. I don't know who asked it, but uh, if you have thoughts, I'd love to hear them. I'm, it's a super intriguing question. Yeah. I, the answer you just gave is the, what immediately came to mind for me as well. I, I think that that could possibly be a very good answer to that question in particular. So the next question is, how long is a news cycle and why do we move on quickly? Well, getting this... So, I mean, a news cycle is generally, okay, the, the media will cover an event, a news item... And then it's called a full cycle because not only will they have reporting on the event, but they'll follow up with public reactions to said event. And that's what a news cycle is. Um, And obviously the 24-hour news cycle is um, not a terribly old um, facet to our media culture. But when I saw this question, I immediately thought of a study that I I remembered seeing, and I felt like it was a few years ago, and I was correct. So there was research from Google Trends in partnership with Axios and Schema Schema, um, and it found that the average big news story lasts for around seven days before the public moves on to the next crisis. And this study was done on American on the American news cycle, um, so so not anywhere else in the world. And it looked um, at the year 2018. So it is a little bit older. I mean, we're in 2024 and stuff tends to change pretty fast. But this is a 2018 study. And they say it lasts a median of seven days, a, a, a new cycle. The second part of the question is obviously also very interesting. And, you know, the most basic of answers to the second part of the is like a twofold answer in that we do have studies specifically on the American public and that their um, their memory when it comes to news or politics is actually quite short. Um, and so therefore a 24-hour news cycle, you know, only being able to sit on a news story for about seven days feels about right for just basically how Americans treat news and politics. The second part would be the most obvious. The media makes a lot of money by having a lot more crises happening. And so if you've, you know, you cover a piece of news for weeks on end, you make a lot less money because people get tired far faster. And so they've got all the analytics in the world to see exactly how long certain things last. It will be pushed the, the sort of, um, so that's like the demand side and the supplies, like the, the money side of things means that, you know, it will last as long as it will make money. That's a very cynical view in a lot of ways, but it, it has it. There's truth to it as well. Uh, that was brilliant. I didn't know like ninety percent of that information before, <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm gonna be in awed silence uh, and not not uh, add anything to that. All right, and that was off the cuff, baby. Yeah. I mean, all of our podcasts is off the cuff, but... <laughs> but that was especially... I'm, I'm, let me preen for two seconds, everybody. Okay, <laughs> good. So the next question also cracked me up because we've got, you know, this question on the news cycle and somebody asked, are you just constantly reading the news? How do you read so much? And we get this question actually quite a bit. Yes. 
by listeners of the podcast or people who are introduced to us figure out we have this kind of podcast and then say, how are you consuming that much news? Are you, is it just happening all the time? Do I have an answer to that question, but do you, how you feel about it? I'm interested in your answer. And then I want to, uh, relieve some of the burden off of our listeners. But you you answer the question. Yeah. So, yeah, and for and this is for me, and, and this is actually a question to us. You know, I want Michael to get to, you know, relieving the burden for, for you all, <laughs> listeners, very quickly, just so, because you're going to hear my answer and you're going to go, that doesn't make me feel better. Um, I learned speed reading in college, and so I speed read the news unless I know, I happen to know that it's a very complex issue or an issue in which I do not hold a lot of expertise. I will then go and ensure that I read every line in a news article. So like if it's something, you know, happening in the Supreme Court, I don't have a legal background. And so I will go on SCOTUS blog, um, one of the best sources for it, and read through things so that I understand what the actual arguments are and the decisions that are being made. You know, when um, Hamas's attack in Israel happened, and since then I continue to read everything in full. I don't do my typical technique just because I know it's, pretty much the world's most complex issue. And I want to make sure that I'm understanding things as best as I can. Um, But essentially, I kind of have a system that it might be just my system. I don't know if anybody else uses this, but it's the speed reading. It's being able to skim news websites and knowing exactly what our listeners tend to like. I see the analytics on our podcast. I see, we see the questions that you ask us. We have a sub stack where we get, we see all the clicks on things. And so I try to read things that I know that will be of interest to our audience. And you all have pretty wide interests. So it's not like I have three categories and you know, that's it. But, um, that helps as well. Just knowing our, knowing my audience, the speed reading. And then there are just some things where with, with news writing, it's almost like when you, if, if you went to college or some kind of school where you had to do, you know, some form of reading, um, you learn to read the first paragraph, the last paragraph, and you'd find the thesis paragraph somewhere in there. And I kind of, I kind of do that sometimes as well. Um, when I feel like, oh, I know what this issue is about. I, you know, I've been reading it for the past few days. Here's a single update on it. Okay. I'm going to read this, this. Okay, good. I got it. I know what the update is. And so I don't feel as burdened by the entire article. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, one thing I just add is, so we, we consume, uh, we, we read a lot of news. We do. Um, one thing that helps is I do very much avoid, um, gossip stories. Yes. I I avoid following like, um, the Russian dossier stuff. I read very little of it. And uh, I was like, you know what? That I am not compelled that this is legitimate. And also, um, what's going to be most meaningful are like when actual facts come out, which they like kind of never did. And so, like, so often I'm like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm even more glad than I <laughs> that I thought I would be that I ignored these stories because like my my impulse that this was just gossip like turned out to be right. Um, so 
stories about he said, she said, um, stories about like legal issues. Like, I want to know when the verdict is out. Yes. Um, I, I and so so that helps, and a lot of our. A lot of our news coverage and a lot of what people consume as political news is is really sort of uh, the these uh, you know hit pieces that kind of that kind of thing. Um, here's what I'd say though, like just to take a step back, we read a lot of news. Um, we don't read a lot of news just because. We're interested in politics, or because, um, as Christians, we we care about our neighbors uh, and like the general. Um, you know, when I make the case in in my books for Christians caring about politics, um, we don't read as much news as we do because. Of those kinds of arguments. Mm-hmm. We read so much news because it's our job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so, like, I think I just want to relieve people. Um, part of why we do this podcast, part of especially why we do the Substack, mm-hmm. um, at whereweare.substack.com, uh, uh, part of why we do the Morning Five is... Because it's our job, and we do the we read through, we collate, we we prioritize, and we try to package it in a way that people can go as deep as they want to go. But also, we have readers who just skim through the political brief on Monday and feel like, okay, I have a pretty good sense of what's going to yep. happen this week, yep. and like I feel more plugged in than I was before, and like I think that's sufficient (laughs) and so so that's the main thing i want to say which is um uh 97 of people should not read as much news as we do because it's it's our job and it's it's not uh it's not many other people's yes that yes all right you you said definitely something that i would say as well on that one uh, so the next question, what is the latest on the child tax credit bill? Yes, so we haven't discussed this yet on We need on a the jingle pod. for child tax credit talk because we love child tax credit talk and uh, I think I think we should invest in a jingle. Yeah, I wonder if the creators of Bluey would let us have their opening song and then we put lyrics on oh, top of it. Oh, that's a wonderful idea. The Hela's. Sorry. Oh, wow. If we have Australian listeners, I just offended everybody. Okay. So the child tax credit. Right. So at the end of last month, there was a vote because there was a new tax bill that was put up in the House and it covers more than the child tax credit. It also extends some business tax breaks and a few other things. And I won't go into what if we're talking about like Supreme Court or other things like Tax law is also just not my area of expertise. But in a vote in the House, a vote of 357 to 70, they um, expanded the child tax credit as part of this bill. So now, by expanded child tax credit, this is not the pandemic era expansion. 
So to be clear, so the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, um, which uh, they they advocate on behalf of lower income Americans, they estimate that this new version, this current version in this bill that just passed last month in the House, um, would benefit roughly 16 million of the 19 million children who receive less than the full child tax credit because um, their family incomes are too low. Um, the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities estimates that at least half a million children would be lifted above the poverty line when the proposal takes full effect. Uh, so we saw with the child with the with the expansion that happened during um, COVID, which was temporary. We lost it. What about a year and a half ago now? Uh, we saw the poverty rate for children plummet because of this. And so now since then, I mean... When it was in place. Yeah, when, when, when it yeah, was in yeah. place. What, since it's come back, all of those numbers have completely reversed. And, you know, senators like Mitt Romney have tried to, you know, we're trying to revive it. Well, now we have this House bill, which, you know, is GOP majority. They've passed this bill, this, this bigger tax bill. And so now the Senate will return at the end of this month, February, and we'll get a chance to vote on it and... Uh, one would hope that they they will pass it, especially because if you have not filed your 2023 taxes, uh, and in this passes, you should be able to benefit from from this new uh, expansion. Yeah, could be could be a, a really promising bipartisan win in an election year, which is rare. So we'll we'll see if it we'll see if it happens. There's a lot of interesting stuff having happening in the family policy space i think in a future episode we probably need to have like matt brunig or patrick yeah. brown or um who's our friend um ai uh she was at the uh the cpj oh, convening yes. with us abby mccloskey abby, abby mccloskey yeah abby mccloskey yeah yeah yes. yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah maybe, maybe we'll have abby on or rachel anderson Yes. Yeah, well, we, we need to do a family policy episode for sure. Okay. Yep, so our next question, um, uh, this person says, I still want to know why Tim Scott endorsed former President Trump um, and why people won't name names. For example, Senator Langford uh, was threatened by an unnamed popular national pundit and, of course, all of the unnamed Republican officials who really dislike uh, former President Trump privately. Yeah. <laughs> you just had a look on your face. Go ahead, Michael. Uh, no, I mean, I don't want to. I, I consider uh, Tim Scott a friend. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm not going to sort of speculate. Um, <laughs> uh what is being reported, uh, the, the sort of conventional wisdom or popular wisdom is he's auditioning for VP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, yep, yeah, that's a possibility. Yeah, it's plausible. Um, you know, I, I, I think uh, Tim Scott is someone... Of a starkly different disposition than President Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but Senator Scott 
is uh, someone who believes very strongly in the importance of advancing conservative public policy. And I think there's confidence among much of the right that if Donald Trump is elected, then they'll be able to get policy folks in there. Uh, and that the machinery of the federal government, because uh, Donald Trump will need to source staff from somewhere, that 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 basically they'll they'll be able to get a lot of sort of policy advance in the Trump administration, uh, like they they basically think they did, and they clearly did in some cases during Trump's uh, uh, Trump's term. From 2017 to 2021, um, and so I think that's that's also a, a plausible motivation that, that Tim Scott uh, believes what he's saying. That uh, today uh, he said that. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, so Donald Trump won the South Carolina primary mm -hmm. yesterday. Yeah. Um. Tim Scott was there. Mm -hmm. Trump uh, recognized uh, him. Lindsey Graham said Trump was uh, the most qualified person in the country to be to be president. Uh, and and Tim Scott, you know, said that South Carolina is Trump country. And mm -hmm. I think Tim Scott's a person uh, with enough dignity to. Uh, uh, say that he he believes what what he's saying, so that's that's why he's he's backing Trump. Uh, what was the second part of that question, Melissa? It, and why? Uh, oh, why aren't they naming it? So, um, so the questioner here is referring to. Uh, we talked about this in a previous episode. Lankford, uh, Senator Lankford, uh, said that conservative commentator said if he advanced a border security compromise that the commentator said he'd he'd like take Lank Lankford out and like you know really train fire on him Lankford said this but but didn't name the commentator I think one reason for that I mean one reason for that is uh Senator Lankford's a lot of people think that this is Sean Hannity that Sean Hannity was the commentator that he was referring to and James Lankford is going to lose a PR fight against against right. Sean Hannity. Like James uh, James Lankford actually is a lawmaker and a serious person and has like a real job. And sh if if Lankford tried to take Hannity on, a he has to count the costs to his own agenda, his own ability to get things done. And then B, he'd, that would be a fight like he'd have to prosecute and would take up like a ton of his time. Like Sean Hannity has nothing else to do. Sean Hannity will do two weeks of episodes on how awful Linkford is. And so, I mean, I think it's just um, a strategic ju judgment. I think people are wrong to um, suggest that all of these kinds of things are cowardice. I don't, I don't think it's it's necessarily cowardice. I think it's um, 
I, I think it's a, um, a decision about how to spend one's capital. Um, so, yeah. Okay. So, how do we, how do we think about work-life balance with so many roles? How do we think about work-life balance? How, how are we doing, uh, Melissa, on that front? Um, I am not 30, flirty, and thriving. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Normally, normally I could actually answer this question. Like, I, I have taken the last few years, have redone how it is that I work, um, who I work for, how many hours I work, especially in light of um, giving birth to our firstborn and then our second child. But lately... Um, because a bunch of things have happened in our life. Like, I feel like I have less work-life balance, but it is very much top of mind and something that I will be actively working on getting back to being unbusy because I prided myself on staying home with our children. Yes, I do work from home with a consulting firm, but the stay-at-home mom title is first for me and the work-from-home mom title is second for me in terms of how I order it in, in my order of importance. Um, and, I, oh, and I've been priding myself on being unbusy these last few years of like, if a friend says, could you come over tomorrow? I was, we'd be able to say yes. And I wouldn't be working when my kids are awake or around me. But that has not been the case for probably about six months now where, you know, Bluey has helped a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, here to be transparent. It's not going too great right now, but I'm aware of it and praying about it. I would ask for your prayers and trying to get back on track. Yeah. And for you, it's even no, more. No, I it's, mean, it's a I mean right, I hope people feel like this is, this is like a loaded question right now. And we talk about it. We're cognizant of it. I think where we are in this season is that it is a season. And so it's, yeah, we, um, I mean, there are a number of things. So we've talked about a sort of two year timeline with the startup. Um, for your nonprofit, for, for for my nonprofit, that like after two years, there's like a reassessment in terms of a whole bunch of things, travel, time, but and then with the book layered on top of that, we just knew. Then with the presidential election, we we headed into 2024 knowing this year is going to be uh, is going to be tough, and so. Part of it is like, what trips am I going on where I could take one or both of the girls? How could I make sure that even more than usual when I am home, I'm like fully present? How can I make sure that I'm getting one-on-one time with each of the girls? Um, But it is just like a, it's just like a difficult season. And um, in terms of in terms of work family balance, um, you know, I, I think I and I think we, you know, view the work I'm doing right now, the the book as 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 missional, as values driven. But I think even that only goes so far. So um, so yeah, it's something we're talking about 
all the time and there are all kinds of like mitigation kinds of kinds of techniques but i think the main thing is like we're in a season and uh we gotta like make sure that it's a season uh yes but yeah you know we joke about this podcast uh being uh marital uh therapy uh but that question I feel like we really made some progress there. Yeah, yeah, we really connected. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any so, more questions? Yeah, we have t- we have two left. Okay. How will we approach teaching our kids, our own kids, about politics? I think about this all the time because for context as well, um, just for new listeners or listeners who haven't been with us terribly long, we have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. We have two kids, two girls. Yeah, and our two-year-old's about to be three yep. next month. So we have a three- and five-year-old very uh, soon. Um, so we, uh, my, our approach is to be talking about and making connections between politics and life generally as we go about life. Um, So I don't think that my approach is here's a politics talk and sort of here's what we think about politics and that kind of thing, I think, and this is my approach to a lot of things, including, I mean, it's a bit different talking with the kids about about God, that kind of thing, because, like, there's, there's no political equivalent of, like, prayer time and going to church, uh, sort of. Um, but my sort of, like, pedagogy or like you know parenting is you know I, I want them to be able to place politics as a part of life and not as something that is um, separate from irrelevant to or uh, improperly like important or overvalued and so so yeah so obviously they're five and two so Sirsh is just starting to like ask some questions that are like about certain politicians that are like she sees on tv she's she's starting to get really interested in like just what what daddy does at work um but we're i think we're probably a year a year or two away from like political explicitly like political questions but we're we're preparing for it and and try, and, and actually like I I think about even you know as they're going to be un even though they'll be unaware of it now you know how to sort of prepare the ground for for 
those kinds of conversations down the road. Yeah, I uh, I would say that pretty much the only way that I directly talk with our kids because of the age that they are right now about politics is through our nightly prayer where I have a section of our prayer because I do the same prayer every night unless we're speaking about, unless I'm adding somebody who we know is sick or suffering in mind, body, or spirit is what I usually say as part of like the liturgy we actually do at church, um, is I always pray, and I've gotten questions about this specifically from our eldest because she's five. I always pray for our troops stationed overseas, and I pray for all of the leaders of countries around the world. And sometimes I go into specifics if the girls happen to be sitting nicely for prayer, but oftentimes they are hyped. And so I use um, some shorthand there, but I, you know, Searsha has specifically asked, what do you mean by leaders around the world? Or what do you mean by the president in his cabinet? I remember she asked about the cabinet. I was like, well, Um, so you know, we're, it's, we expect that it's going to start ramping up because I mean, I remember like my first real political memory was around six years old. Yeah. Um, and I feel like when I talk to others, their, their first political memory tends to be around that age. Yeah. 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 So our final question, and I have to crack up, um, so again, for new listeners or listeners who have not been with us for very long, Michael is very Italian-American. We talk about Italy and Italian things on this podcast a lot. Uh, Michael has a lot of opinions on like Italian cooking and Italian food. And so there is a lawsuit against a tomato seller in Pennsylvania. And this listener wants to know, what are our thoughts about this San Marzano tomato lawsuit? And so very quick background. There's a tomato seller called Simpson Imports. They're based in Pennsylvania. They sell cans of uh, tomatoes. And you, I mean, Michael, you and I have bought these tomatoes. Um, And they were sued by a California woman named Andrea Valiente. Um, last year, she sued this company, um, saying that they had used, end quote, highly misleading tomato packaging to trick customers into believing that they are purchasing genuine San Marzano tomatoes at at San Marzano prices, end quote. And so Simpson Imports has sought to dismiss the lawsuit, but a judge this this past week for the Northern District of Columbia (laughs) said that some of um, Ms. Valiente's claims could actually move (laughs) forward. Um, and so then Simpson Imports put out an email statement saying that it strongly disputes that reasonable consumers would have been <laughs> deceived by the label since San Marzano does not appear on the label. Um, and they, But here's the kicker. Here was the kicker for me. Because I looked at the label and I thought, the shape of that tomato, if you happen to know the shape of a San Marzano tomato, it looks like the shape of the San Marzano tomato. And then on the label it says SMT. And so, yes, I have always thought that this t- can of tomatoes was San Marzano tomatoes. Um, but it is, in fact, not. The SMT actually stands for San American Tomato, apparently. But here's the case. Okay. This company says that they actually used to can San Marzano tomatoes, but they replaced it with San American tomatoes around a decade ago. So they admit that they used to sell San Marzano. And so... I remember that time as well because this was back when a lot of our shopping had to happen at Whole Foods. These were sold at Whole Foods, and these were definitely San Marzano tomatoes at that point in time. 
Well, I'm sorry. So just to be clear. Yes. So they're saying that this is not San Marzano. It is San American tomatoes. Okay, so what I'm pointing at is there is uh, there are initials on this. Uh, so on on the label for the can, there are there's cursive writing that's completely illegible except for a big S and a big M, and so this company is saying no. Who would possibly think that these these San Marzano looking tomatoes with an S and an M on it. And a T. SMT. San, <laughs> San American tomatoes, aka San Marzano tomatoes. I'm totally with Miss Valiente on this one. Uh, she she Miss Valiente, direct quote. The result is, uh, she's talking about the label here, the result is lettering so comically minuscule that it is almost impossible to see with the naked eye. She said in the voice of every ant that I have ever known. Uh, Melissa, first of all, whoever is the angel who sent this to us as a question for this episode... I love you. Second, I am 100% with Miss Valiente on this one. Uh, they, this company knows exactly what they're doing. Uh, I love that this, this issue allows me to combine my nascent uh, anti-corporate uh, uh, sentiments with my pro-Italian uh, nationalistic sentiments, uh, and I hope this company gets sued into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Simpson Imports, you're going down. <laughs> I love this story so much. They've been much. caught tomato handed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like the Italian government is paying attention. The Italian government might have hired Miss Valiente to be like, you know what? You should really sue this company because these are not true San Marzano tomatoes. Just just so you're aware, San Marzano tomatoes are actual, they're they're a protected product in Italy. So San Marzano refers to a very specific region um, outside of Naples. So the reason why San Marzano tomatoes are so valuable is because uh, San Marzano, it's they're, uh, it's tomatoes grown in the soil um, uh, that it's like volcanic soil. Yeah. Uh, grown and so through the tears of Mount Vesuvius, yes. Yeah, so it's like exceptionally delicious. Delicious. Yeah, and the that's other why they're great more thing expensive. Of, the other great thing about San Marzano's uh, the reason why cooks like them, um, thin skin, and oh, then... Sounds um, like me. <laughs> <laughs> and then a way, way, way fewer seeds. And so they're oh, they're just bless. great for sauce. Um, I, I would encourage folks to the extent you're able... And by the way, so yeah, people are people are. I can't um, buy a can of San Marzano tomatoes 
all you need is olive oil. You don't even need garlic, really. All you need is olive oil, some San Marzano, uh, a can of San Marzano tomatoes, crush them with your hand. You'll make a sauce that's cheaper than, uh, definitely than Rouse, but cheaper than ragu. Uh, and it'll be Prego. delicious. Yeah. So, but so this is this is really important. People, <laughs> this is really important. Yeah. People, okay. uh, uh, canned tomatoes are not lesser than fresh tomatoes. Preach. This is so important. Uh, people. It's not like using canned corn. Like fresh corn is just undoubtedly superior to canned corn, even though canned corn has its place. Uh, fresh peas are incredibly uh, a better quality than uh, canned peas. It doesn't work that way with tomatoes. You don't have to feel guilty about using canned tomatoes. The best cooks will use canned San Marzano tomatoes, and you can too, but you won't get them buying from Simpson Imports. That's the main message of uh, of, of my answer on this question. When Michael gets like this, this is when I call him Michele. Yes. Uh, okay. Those, uh, that's, I, that's it for our questions. That's it. I love. What a I way to end the 100th episode. It was the best way to end the 100th. I'm fired up. I'm so fired up right now. I just want to go throw tomatoes at this company. I do. We <laughs> should. I mean, not that we're suggesting. No, nope, I mean, not suggesting dis, that at all. Disclaimer. Not, endo do, not endorsing Do not that. endorse. This is just um, really like fan fiction. Um, uh, but, you know, hypothetically, to celebrate our 100th episode, we'd all travel to Pennsylvania with a can opener and like a hundred cans of San Mar actual San Marzano tomatoes. That would be so expensive. And uh, chuck them at Simpson Imports. <laughs> okay. Not endorsing it. That not is, endorsing. That's not fan endorsing. fiction according it's to fan, Michael. It's fan fiction. You're not using fan fiction correctly, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I went with it. We went with it, people. No, right. no, wait, hold on. I'm not done. I, uh, I was in Richmond two weeks ago for okay. an event, and <laughs> I'm looking at him right now. Like, where is this going? At the evening event, yeah, in Richmond. Okay, during the Q and A, uh huh. <laughs> I was talking about Twitch. Oh no! And I I was explaining Twitch streams. No, Michael, you're and, 35. And the, and the, <laughs> Like a college student audibly laughed. <laughs> and, and, I, and I realized I could not have described a uh, Twitch. Oh, yeah, I did. I could not have described Twitch in a way that sound, made me sound more like a boomer than, than possible. I mean, how do you do, fellow kids? How do you, <laughs> Definitely that kind of that kind of. Thing. Okay, for our 200th episode, if we last that long, let's do let's let's stream on Twitch. That's what you do, right? You stream on Twitch. 
I'm like, yeah, but we got to play video games. We could play Civilizations. You oh, like playing Civilizations? I love Civilizations. That would be a great game to, to Twitch to. Not that I truly know what Twitch is. but Me neither. Okay. All right, friends. We almost don't want the 100th episode to end, but we will. I mean, I do, but yes. <laughs> I love you all, but I want to go to bed. You've been listening to Where We Are. Bye. You ain't picking your phone up Why you messing my head up?